Welcome to On the Edge of Equity, where every episode features crucial conversations centered on equity, diversity, and inclusion. But this isn't just talking the talk. It's about inspiring action, asking tough questions, and getting honest answers, because that's the only way that real change happens. We are so elated to welcome you to another edition of On the Edge of Equity, which is a podcast that is powered by Athena Communications. I am overwhelmed with the folks that I've run into and that have reached out to us at Athena Communications telling us that you are listening to these conversations. We set out uh, in 2022 to begin to have conversations about transformational work, to begin to have the conversations about those things that may make us uncomfortable, but they are critical and necessary for real change in our communities. And so the excitement about what is happening locally We're based in Milwaukee, and so a lot of our conversations are centered on on work that is happening with amazing leaders and friends within our network who are doing the work to make Milwaukee and our nation and world better. And today is no different. Today's conversation is with a dear friend and sister by the name of Laura Gutierrez. Good morning, Laura. Good afternoon. Good evening to all of you who are listening. But as we are taping, it is morning time. Good morning. Good morning, Tammy, and thank you so much for the opportunity to be here and connect with you once again. Absolutely. I am so excited to have you. I know that you and I have some history together. We share a special bond being in the 2021 Women of Influence cohort. That is an acknowledgement and recognition by the Milwaukee Business Journal. It is a privilege to call you both a colleague and friend. And, you know, we've had these conversations over the last several years about being intentional to not only share our passions about this community that we call home and how our paths continue to sort of, you know, circle and and percolate around the city. And because you are the executive director of one of Milwaukee's most incredible organizations, United Center, United Community Center, which serves the Hispanic community and residents of Milwaukee's near South Side in so many ways. And I want you to talk about that. But there's something incredible about your role. You're the first woman and the first person from UCC's Southside neighborhood to lead the agency. Can you share with our listeners the important work that you've been tasked and charged to do? What has that journey been like? Yeah, thank you. Um, Thank you for all of your compliments. I, too, see you as a wonderful colleague and friend, and it is a privilege um, to really get to know amazing people around Milwaukee that continue to uplift not only one another as women, but the great work that is happening, because I think we need more positivity. So yes, um, you are correct. I do have the privilege of being the executive director for the United Community Center, a place that I hold near and dear to my heart. And the UCC has been around for over 53 years. When I was growing up, it was called The Spot. Hmm. And um, now I consider it an empire. 
Yes. Which is weird to say because as a kid, I ran around there. So let me start first by saying what it is that mm-hmm. um, that we do so, so that everybody a understands. Bit of history, right? Just, just a little a, bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> um, so the UCC is one of the largest nonprofits in the Milwaukee area. And as you mentioned, we're a comprehensive social services and education organization serving predominantly his, the Hispanic population, the largest population probably in our community from six weeks to 106. And so the services that we provide are very wide in in breadth. We have everything from neighborhood development, a sobriety piece, so drug and alcohol rehabilitation with three transition homes, one for women, one for men, and one for women and children, uh, because we want to make sure that women who have their children with them will recover much quickly. That's what the research tells us. So we want to make sure that we're meeting those needs. The biggest piece is our educational arm. We truly believe that education is the journey out of poverty and a means of opportunity. And so we truly believe that education is what really weaves all of our programs together. Uh, we have an elderly component that is huge for us, uh, making sure that our elderly are continuing to have the quality of life that they deserve and need and continue to be active and a part of our system. And so our vision is to continue to have an empowering and thriving Hispanic community that is going to give back and continue to pour into our city and our state. Absolutely. And you you talk about, you know, what that commitment has meant to you and the commit this journey, right, around the work that you're doing and how the connectivity to those early days, right, has also influenced who you are in terms of your leadership. You may have identified and said that this this role is, you know, relatively new. You have essentially come home, which is what you just talked about, right? The journey of running around this place, um, coming home to UCC. But you share with me just, you know, such a, a deeply personal story of how your parents immigrated to Milwaukee from Mexico and you and your siblings, you know, participated in UCC programming back in the day, right? And in fact, you also have history of working there as a teen. Can you talk about what that personal and professional experience and, you know, the richness of your family's connection to that has also been an influence in, in how you're leading? Yeah, of course. You're right. You know, my parents came to this country, of course, seeking the American dream, right? Like many other families. And and um, the first place that they were told to go and, and check out was the the United Community Center. At that time, it was a small agency in, in the 70s, probably just getting started. As I said, it was called The Spot. Mm-hmm. That's how I knew it as a kid. And it provided youth programs to really continue to guide us in the right direction. Back then, you know, that area was infested with a lot of gang activity. And so the people in the community wanted to make sure that the youth had different options, positive interactions with adults, and um, they took us in. They provided English courses. And so at that point, my mom would go and take English classes at night, second shift while my dad worked third shift. And she bring us all in. My brother uh, enjoyed the boxing program. And then my sisters and I would be in folkloric dance. And so my mom would do classes. We'd hang out there and really just try to look at what is it that people are doing 
and learning from the adults that really tried guiding and shepherding us during that time frame. You know, there's so many things, and we've had conversations in different places about a number of, of issues that are important to us, and I love that this work is important to you because you are connected to this community, not in position only, but to talk about those values that were important, how your mom would bring you um, to this place. And you all began to discover your passions and discover community as a result of that. Can you talk about just the value of being connected, that authenticity, right, of being this is a place that I grew up. This is a place that is home to me. And now I have this awesome responsibility to lead this anchor institution that is near and dear in Milwaukee, but how so much of that early connection certainly influences, you know, who you are now. Yeah, it really is, I say, an emotional journey. Hopefully I'm not going to get emotional, but I truly, you know, see, I mean, Dora, the first person who hired me at 15, Dora Costa, I still keep in touch with her. Wow. She rehired me when I came back as a teacher. And it's just funny how the world turns because you grow up, you take everything in, the opportunities that they provide us to interview. Basically, it was a community. It was a second home. If, If you were doing something that wasn't supposed to be what you were supposed to be doing, an adult would call you out. And we had to respect that. Absolutely. And so for us, it was like, you have to walk that fine line and remember that you are not only representing, you know, the community, your parents, but the adults that are trying to set you through. And so for me, the connection and the community It really was a, it takes a village. If my mom didn't know something or whether it was education or where to find resources for us as children, you know, she'd go and ask. And I think the biggest thing I remember is that if somebody there at the UCC that you asked a question didn't know it, they wouldn't turn you away. They would say, hold on a minute, let me go ask so-and-so and see if they know something. And so I think that has really carried on. And people still come to us Hmm. to look for that. And even though we are now over 500 employees, Hmm. over a couple of different campuses, that still happens. And you still have people that I knew when I was a teenager, that they were adults and the people that I looked at it like, oh, wow, here's this fancy woman that looks like me and she's, you know, in charge. Yeah. They're still there. They're still there. You know, Maria's still there. She has some pictures that she brought out from back that I wish you would have kept buried that are now <laughs> in the timeline of when I worked there at 15. Sure. And my sister, she started there as, um, you know, working in the restaurant in 84. Mm. And so the connection runs deep for all of us. Sure. Uh, my mother took us there. Um, I made sure that my own children went to school there and volunteered. So they could see a little bit of what it is that others may or may not have. And to keep them rooted into culture. You know, I think as a first generation person, you always struggle with, am I Hispanic? Am I American? Am I Mexican American? You know, you go back to Mexico and they're like, oh, your Spanish is so good for being an American. And you're like, okay, this is great. And when you're here, and so I think for us to really know where did you come from? Yes. And these great values and traditions that you have, mm-hmm. but you are truly an American as well. 
that deserve as much opportunity as anybody else. Yes. And like I said, ed- education is that equalizer, right? Mm-hmm. It should not matter what zip code, zip code you are born into that is going to decide the fate Come on of now. your future. That's right. That's right. You know, you are lifting so many thoughts in my mind around why these conversations are important at the root of what we do as a firm. And, you know, also where I stand personally is, is how do we create a world that continues to advance equity and prioritize equity. And it is just what you said, which is a celebration and honor and recognition of our culture. Number one, that we that are part of unique identity groups, valuing and understanding ourselves, but even the broader world, recognizing that there is value in what makes us different. And in fact, we have more in common. That is the journey of equity, that it is a village, but that respect for, and as you've talked about those deep roots, so much of that is a part of who you are now. Can you talk more about what that has meant? Yes. I think when I look at the journey, it really starts from home. You know, seeing your parents work so hard. First, you know, second shift, third shift. And you look at that and you're like, oh my gosh, you have to take every opportunity. And I think when I look at parents, every parent, regardless of what walk of life you are, you want the best for that child. And you want that child to have more. Absolutely. And I think it is our job to be able to acknowledge that. Yes. Meet parents and people where they are and say, I hear you. I see you. I see you. Yes. And we are here and going to figure it out. I am a firm believer that I don't believe in no. Mm. I believe in how do we get to yes. Yes. How do we problem solve this? And I think that comes from my mom who made the journey with my dad um, to an unknown country to find better. And they will tell you, it's, what do you need? How do we make this happen to make sure that others are getting what they deserve? And so for me, that piece of culture of seeing my parents pour so much into us and making sure that we were not going to not take advantage of, especially when I would hear them say, we did, we didn't have an opportunity to go to college. We didn't have school. We were lucky we got to go to third grade because we had to go to work. Mm. And of course, sometimes, you know, they over-exaggerate and the <laughs> drama of like, I didn't have shoes and walked barefoot for five <laughs> miles and, you know, milked cows. And you're like, okay, you believe a lot of that. But when you see it, mm. when you can see that your mom, when she worked at a factory, could not just have the luxury of going to the restroom, had to ask permission. I think for us, knowing that there was four sisters or my mother had four daughters, it was critically important that we were educated. Mm -hmm. So for us, my mother did not make that a choice. And I feel like it's my turn to do that because Mm -hmm. it was my parents who helped mold me, but also the sisters. You know, I went to Catholic school my entire life and the sisters just did not mess around. Mm You were going to walk that fine line and they were going to make sure you were going to succeed. And so that it was a partnership that they had with your family. Mm-hmm. But then you, you look at the comprehensive other piece, which is the UCC, yeah. who was not only trying to support my parents mm-hmm. and the community in learning the language to try to assimilate to a new country, but it was 
how do we also make sure that your children continue the right path? And when I see the kids walking through my children that I call that I have about 1,800 that I am responsible for, Mm -hmm. it is my job now to make sure that every opportunity they can have, they have access to, and that I continue to expose them Mm. to what the world has to offer because we are still dealing with first-generation kiddos Mm. whose parents are wanting what's best for them. And it's walking that balance of making sure that we're educating our staff that comes into a predominantly Hispanic community when they may not be, to understand the culture, the hugs, the why do we kiss each other when we greet, why do we hug, um, the sense of wanting to gather around food. Mm. That's just what we do. It brings us together to kind of talk And it's more of how do we seek to understand one another so that we can be a collaborative unit that will eventually lift all boats so that we can rise together. That is the model for how you communicate, how you demonstrate community is just what you were saying. And I feel like, Laura, that you've lifted um, the theme around this is the village, right? It requires all of us. It requires all of us to be invested. It requires dignity. It requires us to be empathetic. It requires us to have value for our fellow human being. It requires us to have a great deal of honor um, and respect. And when I think about, again, the work that you've been doing, the work that has been happening, but also those influences, this theme around village um, just resonates. And I will say, let's take village to another level. And so when I think about not only our cohort um, being recognized, you know, as as a woman leader, and there's been, you know, accolades that you've had beyond that. When I think about this work, and as a woman of color, what that has meant for my leadership and using my bully pulpit or using my position as a black woman in this community to talk about the issues that I think are critical and important. Let's talk about what this has meant for you as a woman of color, leading an organization, doing the work, doing the challenging work, calling out the things that might, again, be uncomfortable. Can you talk about you know, what are the challenges that have come along the way, but also those opportunities that I know are what continue to fuel your soul. And I know one of those opportunities are those young people that you get to see your 1800 children every day. But as, as, as a woman and as a woman of color, what, what has this journey been like for you? I would say it's been a journey of turns and twists, of challenges, of overcoming um, stereotypes, A, because you're a woman, B, because you have children, C, because you're married. And I've had great bosses. A lot of them, the majority of of my bosses have been men, all great. But I think that it's helped me to also be the second child. You know, my oldest sister was always, I think, and this might be, maybe I'm stereotyping, but older siblings are always like, I got to be the perfect one. Hey, be careful. (laughs) I I am an older sibling. (laughs) I got to be the perfect one and I got to do everything my mom says, although she was a little challenging, my sister Veronica. We are role followers. That is the truth. Yes, you are. That firstborn will follow the rules. Yes. And so um, my parents, not knowing the language, somebody had to be the translator. 
And my older sister would oftentimes be embarrassed. And so my dad would say, you're it. So I want you to tell Tammy X, Y, and Z. And sometimes because I didn't have a filter, Tammy, I would use some sparkle words because that's what my dad told me to translate. Um, and so, You and sparkle words? <laughs> and so, you know, as I went through through my journey, I think I always felt like I had to speak up because that's what kind of was embedded in me. And I am a, I kind of sometimes bend the rules if I know it's the ethical thing to do. And so I'm always thinking about who am I serving? And again, I think that goes back to servant leadership and what I've learned from my upbringing, from the Catholic background, um, from my parents, that there is always somebody else that needs more than you. And we cannot give what we do not have. And as I went through the journey, regardless of what job or position I had, if it wasn't filling my heart, I just felt like there's got to be something bigger. Like, I understand that maybe I'm here right now for a purpose. And so whatever job I was going to do, I always gave 110%. Not because I want it to be recognized, but I believe that's just because that's the way I was wired. And that's what I was taught to do. That when you commit, you commit 110%. Yes. You do not have do anything. And so I've enjoyed my journey with jobs. I started in corporate, Mm -hmm. left corporate. And, you know, a lot of these accolades I give to my husband. Hopefully he won't hear this. Um, But, you know, we were married young. We had two children and I never had to be the breadwinner. And I had the privilege of staying home with my children and being able to figure out who I was and what I wanted to do. And so he has always said, whatever makes you happy, make sure that whatever you do makes you happy because if you're not happy, I'm going to end up paying for it. (laughs) Power to the husband. Power to the husband. And so (laughs) I do want to say that as a woman leader, this is an opportunity for me. I think it's highly important that our young generation really sees us in leadership, but it's a fine line. It's, It's power, but we have to be able to know how to use that power because what you don't want to do is have people follow you because they fear you. And so for me, it is critical that I continue to stay grounded and my husband keeps me grounded on a daily basis. And so do my children. I often hear you are not that important, mom. (laughs) But it is to show the children, you know, I will tie their shoe. I will pick up a mop and, and mop because I am an owner of our community, not a renter. And we have to teach our children that regardless of what it is we have, Tammy, you know, my parents would always say, just because we are poor, you don't have to look poor. Mm. So when you go out into the world, you are camera ready. Make sure that you are clean, cut, and that you are respecting everyone because you cannot judge a book by its cover. And so for me, it is just important that I not only walk it, but that I show it and that I'm genuine. And for me, being able to come back to the UCC in this role, I mean, it was a heavy lift. I remember my husband saying to me, this is very close to your heart. You can go and have any position you want. Are you sure you want to do this? And I said, you know, this is a privilege. And I always get emotional because of the kids, because I see myself every day. Yes. 
in those children. And, you know, even on my way to work today, I saw a mom and she's dropping off. She's getting off the bus Mm -hmm. to drop off her children to school. She's giving them the blessing like Uh most Hispanic families do. Uh And when you see that, you know, the journey of, I don't know how many buses she had to take. Yes. To bring her children to our school. That is something I and my team do not take lightly. Yes. Like you are entrusting us with your biggest possession. And the way I lead, Tammy, is if it is not good enough for my children, my personal four children, it is not good enough for my 1,800 children that I'm also responsible for. And so when the team and I come together with challenges, I always think of what is in the best interest. I think of the biggest challenge when I first took the helm of COVID and deciding, do we open or do we not? And as you know, as a leader, you get bombarded 700 different ways with why you should open, why you shouldn't open. Sure. And it being able to close that off and saying, what is going to be best for the community? And when you know parents that don't have the privilege, because I call it a privilege to be able to work from home. Sure. Or don't have the educational attainment to help their children. And that you know that if you close down and they don't go to work, they don't get paid. Right. Their child is not going to learn. So we're going to only increase homelessness, domestic violence, mental health. And so for me, it was one of those things where I said, okay, let's really close off and look at what else is happening. And when I saw that the affluent children were able to go to school, their parents could work from home or hire a tutor. I said, well, my own children are going to school. What's so special about them? So we're going to open. And we did, and we worked with our city officials. We worked with other schools, and I think that's what it's about. It's reaching across the aisle and saying, okay, how do we figure this out as a community? As a community, yeah. Not just what's easy. It would have been great for me to stay home in yoga pants, let me tell you. Absolutely. Not have to shower, maybe, (laughs) you know? But at the same time, it's like, no, sometimes you can't follow what everybody else is doing. Sometimes you're going to have to take that chance and that risk and say, this is the best decision because it's going to move the community forward. And you just got to do it and, and let the chips fall where they may. And then you own it. And I am so grateful for the support that my team gave me, Mm -hmm. that my family supported me with. But most importantly, seeing those children thrive and being happy Mm -hmm. and having a safe place to be, I think is something that keeps me moving every day as to the why. And as long as we keep the community at center, at least I do, Mm -hmm. that is my why. And those, that is how I base decisions. I appreciate just you talking about, you know, as leaders, the challenges and opportunities and the moments, you know, of crises, the moments where 
It is lives. It is difficult decision-making, that bold leadership that is required. And so much of what you talked about already is about how you are addressing the challenges that happen in your community, but specifically around educational disparities. Right. Education, as you talked about, the great equalizer, it is issues that are deeply important to me. Talk about your work to address the inequities that exist in our education system. Yeah, I think, you know, Milwaukee, the state of Wisconsin, really has a complex educational system. You have private schools, you have charter schools, you have traditional public schools, and the funding mechanism is different. I think what we have to remember as adults, as leaders, that this is about children. About children. This is about children. We as adults have already made our bed. We can decide, you know, we've decided to be educated. We've decided to go into the workforce, the military. Fabulous. But we have generations below us that are expecting us to make the proper decisions to help them. So when you look at early child care, there is a huge inequity. We are done with the June Cleaver days. Hmm. You know, again, I said I had the privilege of being able to stay home. We were poor, and it was a lot of sacrifices for me to be able to stay home, but that was a choice we made. I think the reality is a lot of families can't afford that. My parents couldn't. And so it requires now, especially as we have more women in the work field, and if we want to have this economic vitality, we need to have people in the workforce. Mm -hmm. Early childhood is a desert. You cannot find it. And so, you know, we made an intentional commitment in our community to invest $12 million in the 53215 zip code, thinking, yes, there is a need. Well, Tammy, in less than two years, that center is full, 24 classrooms of children throughout the community. That not only has allowed us to bring people into the community that want to upskill, and become educators. And I think we have to look at beyond the talent. Do you have a degree? Do you not? It's, again, how do I meet Tammy where Tammy is? If Tammy is going to love my children, talk to my children, increase that vocabulary. Yes. And give them that support. And at the same time, I can upskill Tammy so that Tammy can bring in more financial stability to her family. Why would we not do that? And I think so much in politics or when you look at funding for schools, there's one thing to be, you know, to have funding and then qualified teachers, right? And so if we're not looking at this from what is in the best interest of the child so that they can be successful, then you're always going to have disparities because a lot of decisions are made. Without the child being at the center. Correct. (laughs) They are adult-centered decisions. Mm -hmm. And what is easy for the adults? Mm -hmm. And that is not fair because these children are looking to us to make the decision and, again, help them lead so they can reach their full potential. And if we can't do that, then we are failing our children. And if you look at our educational system, we still have the haves and have-nots. Yes. And it is our job to change that. And so for me, that is why it continues to be a passion. Because as much as I fight for my own children in their school, 
that's what I tend to do on a daily basis and why I get up every morning is for those 1,800 children because those 1,800 children at some point are going to have to take care of us. That's right. Absolutely. if we want to continue to have our freedoms and our Starbucks coffees and all the luxuries, we need to make sure that they are equipped and prepared. Because a lot of times, I think we define children by their mistakes or their family. And if you look at, especially, and I'll I'll focus on the inner cities, a lot of the families in our inner city might not have had a great relationship with the school. And so sometimes they don't feel welcomed or comfortable. And it is up to us as leaders to say, welcome, you are paying us. We are here to serve you. And we are here to partner. We're not here to tell you what to do as a parent, Mm -hmm. but we are here to partner with you so that you can continue to move your child forward. So, you know, my parents always said, Tammy, education Mm -hmm. is the best inheritance you can leave your child. That is powerful. Not money, Mm -hmm. not fame, but education. Education. I love that. What gives you hope? (sighs) Conversations like this knowing that there are other leaders um, that believe we need to come together to overcome many challenges. My children, my personal children, but the 1,800 children in the community and the funders, the people that surround us that allow us to continue to say, keep going, we are behind you. Uh, But when I see the children smiling every day, happy, wanting to hug you, Even our middle schoolers who look you up and down like, why are you wearing tennis shoes with your suit? You don't match. (laughs) It's just that love that I'm like, yes. Yes. You continue to see that their genuine innocence and them wanting to belong gives me the hope that we need to continue this great fight to make sure they have the exposure and the opportunity to succeed. Yeah, I love that. Before we end our podcast and time together, I want to switch gears just a little bit. Okay. And ask you, what are you reading now? Oh, well, an easier question. I won't cry there. (laughs) Um, You know, that's funny. I believe we need to continue to invest in ourselves, too, from an educational piece. So I just finished Think Again by Adam Grant. But some would say I'm a little Seinfeld episode, and so I'm currently reading um, three things. Okay. I am reading Talent is Overrated. Mm, Okay. What Really Separates World-Class Performers from Everybody Else by uh, Jeff Kalman. It's a really old book, um, but I think it just gives you another way of, of thinking outside the box. And from an audible perspective, I am listening to Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. It's a philosophical book, uh, again, on how do you win at life? I'm always looking at how do I grow as a leader, but how do I look at things differently? And then just because I need some spiritual healing, uh, one of my great board members, Bill O'Toole, handed me a book called Leadership Wisdom from Beatitude Blessings for Leaders. I love that. By Dan Ebner. And so I keep that in the office. So when I have a really hard day and I need Jesus, mm-hmm. I just open that up and mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. Well, we need them every day, but yes. at moments, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. When I'm not going to flip a table. Yeah. <laughs> or when maybe I'm going to. I need and to you calm say, down. I need that intervention. <laughs> like right now. Right, right. now. <laughs> so when you aren't reading, 
What is my friend Laura listening to? What is on your playlist? Well, I don't know if I can say all of them, but I have a variety. (laughs) Okay. Um, I go anywhere from Mary J. Blige. Yes. um, To Stevie B. Ah, okay. To country. Mm-hmm. And uh, to just Spanish music. So I love, you know, depending on the mood and the sure. energy that I am in, it becomes a combination of things. When I'm cleaning the house, it's mm-hmm. Spanish because it's upbeat and you got to get out of my way. Uh-huh. But sometimes just that country or that relaxing music, I like to, I like to listen to what others have. I'm not too keen on what my children listen to. Sure. We are of a different generation. We are. <laughs> yes. Especially when they ask you, um, is that person still alive? <laughs> You're like, yes. yes. You don't know what music is, but yes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm listening to. I love it. And I so appreciate you. Thank you for sharing your story, your journey, the incredible work that you are doing at the United Community Center. Again, to all of you who've taken time to listen to us, let's give our friend Laura Gutierrez a round of applause and appreciation again for you just being with me today. I I so appreciate this. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, Just thank you for listening and, and wanting to learn more about the impact that the UCC is making and for highlighting the importance of leadership and collaboration um, to do what's in the best interest for our communities and our city. Yes, because this work is about how do we positively and impactfully change the communities that we are in. We are the change that we need. And that is, this is the reason for all of these conversations. And so for all of you who have listened and tuned in until next time. Thank you for joining us on the edge of equity. Please join our email list at info at Athena communications, LLC.com. So you don't miss a single episode. The link is also in the show notes. You can also support the show by sharing it on social media with your personal and professional networks, suggesting guests and topics for us to spotlight, and engaging in crucial conversations about systems change.